Está sintonizado. You are listening to Plática Política. We're live on KEDA Radio Jalapeno 99.9 FM at 15.40 AM and on Facebook Live. Stay here for the latest news, politics, and a little bit of cheese with your host, Robert Vargas III. Good morning, San Antonio. I'm Robert Vargas III, and you're listening to Plática Política on KEDA Radio Jalapeno 99.9 FM and 1540 AM. If you haven't done so, jump on Facebook. You can watch us live, see us here, and see what we're doing. Um, listen, it's been an interesting couple of weeks in San Antonio. We just got through our municipal elections. That's the mayor, city council, and Proposition A, which failed enormously by the voters. Um, but listen, it's an interesting time because only about 15% of San Antonians actually went out to vote in that election. Now, the way city council election work, excuse me, the way city council elections work is that you go out, you vote, and whichever candidate gets 50% plus one vote wins the election. Our mayor and several city council members won their elections outright, but there are two races that are still pending. The first race is City Council District 1. Mario Bravo is going up against a young lady named Dr. Sukor, who challenged him in the election. Now, he fell behind, um, and he's hoping that voters will take a swing again at the election and vote him into office. Also with us today is actually Dan Rossiter, who is challenging Marina Gavito, who is running for City Council District 7. Now, I shouldn't say he's challenging her because none of them are the incumbent. They're each vying for the seat. Mario, uh, excuse me, Marina Gavito and Dan Rossiter ended up as the top two vote-getters, and they're now facing off in a runoff election that will take place on in the month of June. And I apologize because I don't have the correct date in front of me, but I will get that out. Ah, it's Saturday, June 10th. People are going to think I'm an amateur at this thing. So help me welcome Dan Rossiter to the show. How are you doing, Dan? Hey, Robert. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. No, absolutely. Uh, you know, you've run an interesting campaign over the last few weeks. Um, a lot of folks are really getting the opportunity to know you for the first time. Tell us a little bit about yourself and why you decided to run in this race. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, until a few months ago, I would have said uh, I'm not a politician, uh, first and foremost. Um, I've spent the last decade working over at Southwest Research, primarily focused on working with state departments of transportation to build safer roads. So I've, I've managed multi-million dollar statewide projects for state departments of transportation everywhere from California to Florida um, and, and been quite successful at that. Um, but then right here in San Antonio for many years now, I've served my community as a, a neighborhood leader. So as president of Thunderbird Hills neighborhood um, and, and gotten a lot of results for folks right here in San Antonio. So we got a 10 acre park created uh, as well as road safety improvements out next to a couple of the schools we've got in the neighborhood. Um, and so it's uh, alongside that, uh, a number of different opportunities to serve on different boards within San Antonio. So I, I sat on the 2022 through 27 bond committee where we advised on how best to invest half a billion dollars to start fixing some of our crumbling infrastructure, particularly uh, roads, bridges, and sidewalks. And so uh, really had an opportunity both nationally and right here at home to kind of drive results for residents. And it's that, that was something that really spoke to me at, at a level that I quit my job in February and I'm, am now full-time committed to um, earning the support of District 7 residents and representing them on council. So tell me what 
I understand that you've got a great resume and I understand that you've been working in city government. What attracted you to per this particular race? Sure. Um, I mean, so I, I started thinking about this maybe a little over two years ago um, when, when the last race was coming online. Um, but we had an established incumbent there and, and a, a solid representative at that time. And so I didn't feel like it was appropriate at that time to go after it. Um, but it's been on my mind for a while and something that I've wanted to pursue when the time was right. And with Anna choosing to step down, um, it, it was clearly that right time to go out there and, and serve the community in this new way. You certainly seem to have a very strong background and a strong professional background, but I have to ask you some questions that, you know, our voters probably want to know, like, where'd you go to high school? Sure. So I, uh, I am a San Antonian by choice, not by birth. So I actually grew <laughs> up in Houston um, and then I came to San Antonio to go to college. So I, I went over to UTSA, um, go runners. Um, <laughs> so I graduated with my computer science degree over there and then uh, stayed at Southwest Research following. So for high school, I'll certainly answer the question, but most folks may not know it. It's a Beller High School, um, just kind of uh, driving west towards Houston once you get inside their inner loop. So the equivalent to R410 is just okay. kind of right inside there. And what attracted you to stay in San Antonio? I know I've heard from a lot of folks, especially folks that have moved here, that they came to college, they fell in love with the city. So tell me what, what kept you here? Yeah, I, I mean, you, you described it perfectly. The the uh, I, honestly, I felt claustrophobic in Houston. There's just too many people stacked on top of each other, and I, I didn't enjoy that environment. But when I came to San Antonio and found, and this is going to be a cliche, I apologize in advance, but I found the uh, small town feeling that we have in the seventh largest city in the nation. Um, it, it really spoke to me in a way that um, nowhere else I'd been really did. And so I, I kind of decided that this was the place I needed to be so much so that my family finally uh, moved out. So they sold the family home back in January of this year and uh, didn't quite get them all the way to San Antonio. They moved to Seguin, but uh, almost there. I almost got them there. I'm working on it. Now, what do you think is the single most issue that you're going to have to deal with in city council or maybe a priority that you've got? Sure. I mean, I think so fundamentally, and, and I'll tell this story in a moment, but the reason I ran was because uh, folks deserve to feel safe in their own home. Um, and so in my mind, that comes down to two basic things. What a lot of people think about when they think about safety in their own home is police, and that's certainly a priority. Um, but separate to that is, is our infrastructure and making sure that particularly roads and drainage are designed in such a way that folks can be safe. Um, so if it's all right, I'll, I'll tell a quick story that really ties into why I chose to run in the first place and, and how it directly relates to that. So we, uh, as president of Thunderbird Hills neighborhood, we had um, a gentleman by the name of John Farley, and he lived at the intersection of Oak Hill right next to Holmes High School. And uh, so about two years ago in January, his home was hit by a drunk driver and uh, it nearly killed his wife and it would have killed his granddaughter as well had she actually been home that night. Thankfully, she wasn't. Um, but the vehicle landed inside their bedroom a foot away from where his wife was sleeping. Um, and so the next day I went and knocked on John's door as the neighborhood president looking to see as a community, was there anything we could do to support that family and get them what they needed? Wow. And we came to find out um, this was not the first time this had happened. In fact, a decade earlier and continuing since, residents along that intersection had reached out to City Hall They'd reached out to city departments asking for something to be done because people kept landing in their front yards. Um, they keep getting into collisions at that intersection. And if you look at the data, which I have, 
the volume of collisions at that intersection is astonishing. Uh, it's, it's drastically higher than your average across the city. Um, and something should have been done, but the city dropped the ball. Um, so for the past two years, I've been working directly with um, the city's Vision Zero group. I've been working directly with Public Works. I've been working directly with the Transportation Department. I've been working directly with parks. At one point, we were looking at the potential of putting boulders or mature trees somewhere to provide a, a natural barrier for these folks. Um, but for two years, I've been basically trying to backfill what City Hall failed to do. And uh, in January of this year, I'm proud to say they did finally break ground on phase one to make that intersection safe for John and his neighbors. Um, but th there's so many examples like this. And as I, I've been block walking for many months now, I keep seeing um, different examples where folks are not safe, whether it's a lack of policing or a lack of infrastructure that works for them. This is this is John is not the only one, um, but he's a perfect example of what we as a city need to be prioritizing. Let me ask you this. Uh, we got a question on social media when I put your name out there. Uh, per people certainly, uh, like any other politician, have questions, yeah. strong feelings. What do you say to folks that were supporting Proposition A? And I understand you came out strongly opposed to Proposition A. What do you say to those folks that are concerned that you might not be their representative? Sure. No, I mean, Prop A was... Um unfortunately structured in a way that was deeply convoluted and in, in many ways illegal. Um, so while my personal feelings about a lot of the issues raised there align with what Prop A was looking to do, um, my feeling was that in large part it wasn't legal. So let, I'll, I'll break it down. Um, and, and the city attorney mirrored a lot of my concerns as well. And those are documented on the city's website. But basically, for example, let's look at um, let's look at marijuana use and let's look at abortion. Um, both of these are issues that the uh, state legislature has policy regarding. And as such, as a municipal government, we just aren't authorized to create policy that supersedes state law. That's that's just how our government works. Um, it's not to say that I don't support those. I certainly, to go on record, support a woman's right to choose. To go on record, I support legalizing marijuana. I think it's a great tax revenue source. Um, I just don't think that the municipal government is legally allowed to do that. Um, separately, let's look at uh, no-knock warrants and let's look at chokeholds. Um, so in both of those cases, um, city policy already precludes what the uh, Prop A was looking to do. So with chokeholds, the only time that chokeholds are allowed per SAPD policy is in the event that lethal force is allowed. So if an officer is authorized to pull a gun because they believe that it is necessary for that situation, in that same situation, they would also be allowed to use a chokehold, which... I, the uh, Prop A did not look to change. I think that's appropriate. If we acknowledge that lethal force is reasonable, then it's reasonable. Um, for no-knock warrants, um, there are some opportunities I see there to improve policy. So I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, so already, no-knock warrants are precluded for the vast majority of cases. And the only instances where they would be allowed are in the event that it is necessary for officers to be safe in executing a warrant if they believe that someone's likely, for example, to pull out an AR and start shooting the second they knock on the door, that kind of thing. Um, and Prop A didn't look to change that either, um, which I think is appropriate. We need to make sure that our officers can safely execute those warrants. Sure. However, what Prop A did look at, and I think is appropriate, and I would like to continue pursuing, is um, refining SAPD's policy as it relates to when to execute those warrants, those no-knock okay. warrants in those narrow windows where it is still appropriate to do so. Um, 
particularly you've got um, instances where you are likely to have kids at home, for example, right? So if you know there are minors that uh, live in the household, um, let's execute those warrants when they're at school, right? Let's let's try and find times where it's very unlikely that other casualties outside the targets of those warrants are going to be present. And this is something I've discussed with Ananda Thomas, um, who headed up Act 4SA. Um, we, we align on this issue, and I, I think it's a great opportunity to, and it's, it's beneficial to both SAPD and to the communities at large, right? SAPD does not need news about some inadvertent shooting of some toddler, right? That's not good for anyone. Yeah. Um, no one benefits from that. Sure. Um, so I, I think there's great opportunities there. Um, I'll also talk about the justice director position. So um, in concept, I actually like the idea of having a third party voice outside of SAPD that can look in and, and identify opportunities for us to improve policy. I think that would actually be a positive um, kind of check, checks and balances sort of a setup. However, my big concern with that and where I think it falls apart is uh, precluding anyone who comes with a law enforcement background. I think the, the reality is in order to be able to develop informed policy that can actually work within the realities of law enforcement, we have to have someone who has that experience in existing within law enforcement. And so I, I think that is a, a deeply concerning requirement to have layered on top of that position. Um, so th those were kind of my concerns. It, it was it, a lot of good ideas that I think were just really flawed in how they were executed. Let me ask you this. Um, you talk about being a neighborhood president uh, and what attracted you as a neighborhood president to this particular role? I know that when it comes to city council or elected offices, people tend to get some really ideas of grandeur of things they want to accomplish. And then they get in the office and realize, well, maybe I can't accomplish that because statute doesn't allow it or my budget doesn't allow it. So as a neighborhood president, what do you want to see accomplished? Sure. Um, so I, am proud to be the only candidate that's actually put forward concrete policy recommendations on my website that on day one, I'll begin work to implement. So we, we have done our homework and we, um, because of my time as a neighborhood president and actively navigating city hall for many years, um, I have a pretty good idea of what is realistic and, and what might not be and, and how to structure things in a way where they're likely to be successful. Um, so I'll give you a couple of examples of policies that we've already put forward and plan to work on on day one in office. One is looking at how we manage our city-owned utilities. So SAWS and CPS, um, one of the first things I did as a candidate back in January was I met with Rudy Garza, President and CEO of CPS, um, and talked with him. I also met with Robert Puente, President and CEO of SAWS, and really from the perspective of looking for opportunities for us to improve the relationship that the city has with those and improve results for ratepayers and taxpayers that um, all these organizations are exist to serve. Um, so in that policy that we published on my website, um, we identify millions of dollars in savings simply by consolidating some of the duplicated efforts that SAWS and CPS as well as the city tend to do. Um, one of the biggest parts of that is looking at the billing that is done for the services provided by waste management, by the services provided by CPS, by the services provided by SAWS. So if you look at your CPS bill today, what you might notice, what you will notice, is that there's a waste management line item. Um, the reality is that has nothing to do with CPS, right? Um, however, years ago, the city identified an opportunity to not waste money and resources managing billing again, since they owned a utility that was already billing customers. 
So rather than the city duplicating those efforts and billing customers for waste management, they said, hey, CPS, go and please issue these bills um, and we'll collect on the back end the dollars we're owed based on that. Um, that makes a lot of sense. But our assertion is, why don't we take it all the way? Why don't we have a single municipal bill that is your waste management, that is your energy consumption, that is your water consumption, all in one place? You think about the benefits for that. Number one, you're removing duplicated efforts. The computer systems associated with CPS Energy's um, billing are very expensive and need to be replaced imminently. That's actually going to be a large driving force for uh, the next projected rate hike is specifically related to the computer systems that are needed there. Um, and uh, and so while we're already re-envisioning all that, why don't we go and re-envision a little further and consolidate things? The other benefit is as a rate payer, now you're not messing with two different bills every month. You get a, a single place where all of your stuff is in one place. Um, and so I, I think that's really a benefit both for the um, uh, results for the ratepayers as well as for us as a city to reduce some of that waste. That's a very interesting concept. And I certainly am for consolidating and making things easier, especially for our ratepayers and for our taxpayers. I think that government can get very complicated and get very, com excuse me, and very convoluted when it comes to these things. So the more that we can do to streamline and take care of our community, the better. Let me ask you this question. Tell me, you are going up against Marina Alderete Gavito, right? You all, her and you and her are facing off in this runoff election. What makes you the better candidate for city council? Oh, I love that question. Um, so, I mean, at, at the end of the day, I think um, voters have an opportunity to look at the substance of the campaigns. Um, there's only one campaign that's put forward policy recommendations. Um, that's critical. If you can't navigate policy, if you can't navigate City Hall, if you're not equipped on day one to start getting to work, then taxpayers are paying for a council member that is riding their training wheels and trying to figure out how to do this stuff. We need someone who can hit the ground running. Obviously, we have a three-term incumbent that just left office who had done all that training, had figured out how to navigate City Hall and was able to effectively do that work. Um, I believe we as District 7 residents deserve someone who can hit the ground running. And while certainly I don't claim to have three terms worth of experience uh, as a council member, I certainly have the experience to get to work on day one, which has not been demonstrated by my opponent. Um, separately, I would say um, look at our ability to deliver results. Um, results is a word that I've been hammering from day one and something I'll continue hammering until June 10. Um, look at my work as a neighborhood president. We delivered a 10 acre park for that community. We delivered road safety improvements, not once, but twice around schools in that area where kids were walking home from school. Um, nationally in my work serving at Southwest Research Institute, I've successfully executed numerous multi-million dollar statewide projects, delivering results for tens of millions of folks across the nation. And right here in San Antonio, in my service on different boards and commissions, let's look at the 2022 through 27 bond committee. During that time where I served, I personally spearheaded an initiative to move $100 million to better address the worst roads in San Antonio, the, what the city calls F-rated streets. Um, there is no candidate with this experience that can point to actual results that have already been delivered before sitting on council. That's the key who can deliver results, who can get to work.
Well, Dan, thank you so much for being with us today. You certainly have a lot of knowledge that you bring to the table, and it looks like you've been doing some work already, so we appreciate that. Dan, what do you want folks to know before you head out today? Sure. To know is keep in mind the turnout for these runoffs is really low. Um, we already talked about municipal turnout in general. Um, the turnout for runoffs tends to be half of whoever, however many people showed up to the main election. So it's really, really bad. And so I know it's cliche, but every vote counts and it counts even more right now. Um, so I encourage everyone to do their homework, read up on the candidates and please, please, please show up to the polls. So early vote begins May 30 and ends June 6 and then election day is June 10. So vote early if you can, but regardless of whether you vote early or on election day, please vote. Vote early and vote often. Thanks for being with us today, Dan, and we look forward to seeing you out on the campaign trail. Oh, my pleasure, Robert. You have a great one. Take care. All right, you heard it here. Early voting is starting on May 30th and it goes through June 6th. So if you haven't made a decision and you live in the Woodlawn area or in that District 7 area, uh, Dan Rossiter is uh, asking for your vote as well as Marina Alderete Gavito. I do want to point out that we did invite both candidates to join us on the show. And so far, only Dan has accepted that invitation. We'll be with you throughout the morning and we want to thank you all for being with us and encourage you to stay tuned we've got a couple more interviews that we're doing here on platica politica on keda radio jalapeno 99.9 fm and 1540 a.m we'll be right back Good morning, San Antonio. I'm Robert Vargas III, and you're here for another episode of Platica Politica. It's a beautiful Saturday morning. Whether it's raining or sunshine, it's a great day to be in San Antonio. Not only do we have the best tacos in all the land, but we have some pretty amazing people that are representing our community and doing some really great things. With us this morning is a newly elected district clerk, Gloria Martinez, who is here to tell us about an amazing event that's going on right here in San Antonio as we speak. How are you doing today, Miss Gloria? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. You we, just got elected as district clerk. How has that been for you? That's It's actually been very interesting and exciting. Um, and we just keep moving forward. It, it's something new. Uh, well, I actually was with the Bear County District Clerk's Office for 33 years. Um, but this is still different. Um, and it's exciting to be able to really and truly help all the employees here in Bear County as much as I can. Well, it's amazing. Uh, and I love your story. You grew up on the job. It sounds like you literally grew up on the job. And now you're at the helm and you've gotten the reins and you've got a really great event coming up. It's called a Passport Fair. Tell me a little bit about what that event is. The Passport Fair is going to be on May the 20th between 9 o'clock to 2 o'clock. This is uh, something that we're taking out into the community. That way you don't have to worry about uh, looking for parking. You don't have to try to make it inside the justice center and you know go through the process of being searched or your um, items being searched. You just go in and get your passport done. We'll be there um, taking care of everyone. Now this is by appointment. All the appointments have been filled, but if by any chance someone does happen to walk in, we're not gonna turn anyone away. Awesome. Where is the event taking place at? The event is going to be taking place at, uh, what is this called? I'm sorry. <laughs> we changed the uh, location to it. Um, but it's, what is it? The um, 
Young Women's Leadership Academy. Young Women's Leadership. That is correct. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, I've got the flyer right in front of me. Your office has done a really good job at getting that information out. Um, what can people expect when they walk in the door today? As far as when you walk in the door, um, be ready to be assisted with any paperwork you need and um, get everything done. We are there for you. If you've got questions, we'll, we've got answers for you one way or another. We will figure everything out. But everything is good right now. All you got to do is go in and um, have your paperwork filled. If you don't, we can help you with that. So it looks like the items that people need to bring in are evidence of their U.S. citizenship, photo identification, a photograph, and if they're children, they need to bring their birth certificate. Is that correct? That is correct. And both parents have to be present for a child. That's interesting. Okay. And I know that you mentioned that it's a, a by appointment only, but people can walk in the door. Um, but if I'm out and said, you know what, it's Saturday, I'm going to get tacos. I'm not going to go in line to get a passport, but I do need a passport. Uh, when can they come to your office? They can come in Monday through Friday from eight o'clock to four o'clock. Awesome. And do I need an appointment to show up to your office or can I just show up? Nope. Just come on over. Come visit us. We'll be here for you. Awesome. We have the passports Monday through Friday, eight to four o'clock. No appointments needed. Just come on by um, and we're here to help you. Make sure that you get that passport that you need in order to travel. That is awesome. I know it's post-COVID and I'm ready to get my uh, bathing suit on. I may not have a bikini body, but I'm definitely going to go out to the beach anyway. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. So I have a question for you. Are you down to play Kinsa questions? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to try. All right. Well, here we go. <laughs> All right, we're playing Quince Questions with our newly elected district clerk, Gloria Martinez. We're going to ask you several rapid-fire questions and uh, answer them as best as possible, okay? Thank you. Here we go. If you had one meal to eat for the rest of your life, what would that meal be? Hamburger. Winter or summer? Winter. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Uh, reading people's minds. <laughs> and what's the one word that you use too much? Um, say what? <laughs> <laughs> I can totally hear you say that. And what's something that you've learned about yourself in the last few months? Uh, that we never stop growing. As an individual, you, there's always something to learn and you continue to move forward. Always what growing. People don't know about you. People don't know about me. Um, I'm fair. And um, I like to help as many people as I can. I'm here for everyone. Awesome. And what's the one thing you can't live without? Um, my kids. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. I'm How very family oriented, so I love my kids and my grandkids. How many kids do you have? I've got four. That's awesome. And what kind of music is on your playlist right now? Um, actually, I don't have a playlist right now. I've kind of sort of... Um, haven't really been listening to the music as much as when I go uh, home. I just unwind, sit down, watch a little TV, and do a little homework. <laughs> All right. What TV show are you watching right now? Right now, um, I just started flipping channels. So um, the last one that I was watching is, um, what is it, uh, Vampire Diaries? Vampire Diaries. That's a scandalous one. <laughs> Who was the last person to text you? Uh, Raz Hernandez. <laughs> 
Staff. You know, that seems to be a trend with politicians. I think I scare the chiefs of staff. They're not, they're worried about what I'm going to say. What's your favorite taco? My, oh, um, what is it? Um, asada. Carne asada uh, with some guacamole. There, ooh, that's, that's some good stuff right now. I may have to have one of those for lunch. Who's your hero? My hero, my father. Oh, that's awesome. And what annoys you the most? What annoys me the most, um, traffic sometimes, really. Trying to get over here and trying to get somewhere. The traffic can sometimes be very congested. I mean, we need to talk to the sheriff. He needs to get you a police escort. There's no reason for you to pay for traffic. And how do you unwind after a stressful day? I will go home and uh, just sit down and watch some TV and talk to my husband. And also actually do a little homework. All right. All right. What do you but want? At my own pace, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want folks to know before you go, ma'am? Uh, that this office is open to everyone. Please come on by whenever you need something. If you need a copy um, of your divorce or a lawsuit, uh, we are here for you. Passport's definitely here for you. Um, but this office is for the community. So, and you're more than welcome to literally come by and see our offices. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us. And thank you for playing Kinza Questions. We look forward to seeing you on this beautiful Saturday morning. Have a great day. You too. You are awesome. Have a great day. Take care. All right. You're listening to Platica Politica here on KEBA Radio Jalapeno. As the district clerk mentioned, she's having a passport fair today from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Young Women's Leadership Academy, which is located at 2123 West Wiesach Avenue here in San Antonio. For more information, you can visit the website, uh, the district clerk's website on bear.org. If you have any questions or need your passport, please be sure to go out and get it done today. If you can't make it out today, you can go to the district clerk's website and to her office any day of the week. You're listening to Platica Politica. We'll see you here in just a bit. We're live on KEDA Radio Jalapeno 99.9 FM and 15.40 AM and on Facebook Live. Stay here for the latest news, politics, and a little bit of cheese, man. I hope you guys have been having a great Saturday morning, whether you're out going and getting a taco or a cafecito or uh, on your way to the Pulga. I hope you're having a great Saturday. We've got some great information that we've covered with you so far. We had Dan Rossiter, who's running for City Council District 7, and our district clerk, uh, Gloria Martinez, talked about a passport fair that's going on right now at the Young Women's Leadership Academy. So if you haven't started making your way there and you need a passport, go out to the Young Women's Leadership Academy. They'll be out there from 9 a.m. until 2 p.m. There's a lot going on in the city of San Antonio. As we mentioned before, we just had our first round of municipal elections, and several of our candidates have ended up in a runoff election. And one of those candidates is a district that's near and dear to my heart, City Council District 1, because that's where I live, right? We care most about the places that we live. And my current councilman is Mario Bravo, and he's going to be joining us here in just a moment to talk to us about why the District 1 residents should reelect him to his position. He's in his first term, and so we're going to talk a little bit about all of the initiatives that he's got going on. So, Mario, joining us now, how are you doing today, sir? Doing great. Great to, great to be here. Thank you so much. Man, you have got a lot going on. You just had a hell of a race, as some might say. Um, but now you're in the runoff. Congratulations for making it that far, sir. Yeah, glad to be here. You know, there were a lot of candidates in this race, but uh, but we're in the runoff and we feel good about where we're at. 
Let me just ask the first thing I ask every single person that's running for office. Why do you want to do this to yourself, sir? Why do you want to run for a second term? Did you not get enough the first time? Well, yeah, I, mean, I feel like the first time is just practice, you know, but I love working with the community. I love the problem solving that goes on there. I'm really a policy person and I like partnering with the community and uh, just doing what we can to uh, make our great city even greater. You've got a lot that you've already accomplished. Um, before we came on the air, we were talking about some of the things that you've been working on. And one of those was something going on with apartments. Tell me a little bit about that. Sure. Well, we recently passed a, um, it's a proactive apartment uh, inspection program. And the, the whole goal is to go after slumlords. You know, if some people are, um, you know, they're, if they're not maintaining their property well, it's not healthy, it's not safe, and uh, they're not responsive, then they can get on a list where they're going to have to have proactive, regular apartment inspections. And it's it's all about protecting the renters. You know, most most people who own apartments, they do a great job. I, I've talked to people who own apartment complexes and they, they're not worried or concerned about this at all because they know that they try to maintain a, a, a good uh, building structure and that they're responsive to their renters. But, you know, there's some that that there's always bad actors in every industry. And so sure. this is a way, this is giving the city a tool to crack down on the bad actors. It's called the Tenants' Bill of Rights. Uh, why did you call it that? Well, I wasn't the one who called it. So the, there, these are two different programs. There's the Tenants' Bill of Rights, okay. which is for anybody. That's not just for apartments. But then there's also a proactive apartment uh, inspection program. And so let's so about that apartment inspection program if i'm living somewhere and i'm not quite happy with what's going on how do i get on that list well you're not the one that gets on the list if there are too many um violations then your landlord gets on the list and okay. then they will have regular inspections and so so that's to make sure that we bring them into compliance that's an excellent idea you know we've got so many hard-working san antonians that you know, spend their hard-earned money to have a decent place to live. And I mean, if you're paying for it, you might as well get a good service out of it. So I completely uh, love that. So what is the tenant's bill of, or the rent, renter's bill of rights? Well, let me tell you one more thing, though, about the, the proactive apartment inspection program. It's That was actually an, a, a compromise that was brokered between um you know community activists and and the uh, the you know apartment owners association they sat down together they hashed it out and they brought us uh, this, this um this proposal and so it was it was a, a great example i think of what, what the community can do when everybody sits down at the table and has conversations Excellent. Wow. That sounds really great. I, I personally am an apartment dweller and I'll probably be for the rest of my life because I like my apartments. I like my little apartment amenities, but I certainly understand the need uh, to hold those folks accountable. And it's great to hear that the community is working together with them. Absolutely. So uh, you are also very much uh, involved in your community. You've been involved with neighborhood leaders and neighborhood presidents. What are you hearing from them? You know, I mean, we hear a lot of the same things that uh, before I got in office, there, there are a lot of infrastructure needs. Um, and, you know, there's people who have broken sidewalks and they want their sidewalks repaired. There are people who um, don't have sidewalks. They've never had them and they pay property taxes, too, and they deserve sidewalks. So, you know, we try to make sure that, that we can get them on the list so that we can take care of them. 
Um, I'm hearing about um, people speeding in neighborhoods. And so I've heard the, um, neighborhoods that want uh, speed humps, neighborhoods that want uh, some enforcement of the traffic laws. Um, you know, we're hearing, um, uh, what else are we hearing? We're hearing about um, people having concerns about how our city is growing and how do we protect the character of their neighborhoods. And, you know, like in District 1, we, we've got a lot of growth and we have a lot of infill development, right? So it's, it's pockets of, of, you know, raw land where somebody may want to come in and build something. And our city's growing and we have to grow with it, right? If we don't, then our housing prices are just going to skyrocket. And so, um, you know, we have to grow with it. So what, what I'm really proud of is that we sit down with developers and with neighborhoods and we help them negotiate out a deal to look at, you know, what can be built there that is compatible with that neighborhood. And it's, it's, it's different in every neighborhood. It's a case by case basis. I saw you recently speaking to the restaurant and I believe it was the bar owner, bar and nightclub owner association that got Absolutely. together last week. Tell me about how you're working to address their concerns out of the St. Mary strip and some of the areas that are dealing with that construction that's affecting their businesses. Sure. Well, I mean, first of all, you know, bars, nightclubs, uh, restaurants, food, the food and beverage industry, entertainment, live music. This is a very key part of the economic future of our city. And I say that sincerely because, you know, we're living in a post pandemic world where sure. talented, talented workers can choose to live anywhere. You know, and businesses want to be where the talented workers are. So if people can work remotely now, they can choose to live anywhere. And so why are they going to choose San Antonio? And a reason that a lot of them will choose San Antonio is because of all the great food and beverage options that we have here. You know, the nightlife, the, the live music, the entertainment that we offer that makes San Antonio unique. And so it's, you know, their success is our success. Now, some, uh, you know, there's there's some. Uh, nightclubs that have had a, a hard time because of this uh, North St. Mary Strip project, and I'll tell you, I'm you know it's unfortunate. We I inherited a very messy project. That was that project was approved in 2017 uh, with a 2017 bond, and it started just before I got into office, so I didn't get to choose the contractor. I didn't get to choose the scope of work. Uh, but when I got here, you know, it, that project was not being well managed. And sure. I've walked that project more than all the other construction projects in District 1 put together. And I'll tell you that we've gotten a lot of changes there. We we got one of the subcontractors who wasn't doing a great job. We got them removed from the project. We've added a new contractor there so we can get the job done sooner. We got people going from working five days a week to working six days a week. So that way we can try and get the project back on time. Um, and so we're trying to get the project moving faster, but I also have recognized, I've heard from some of these bar owners, some of these restaurant owners out there that they're hurting, you know, and that this project has really, it's prevented some of their customers from coming out as much. And so I fought to get them funding as well. And so we've gotten them over, we've gotten them $5 million in, in grants and uh, they're being distributed right now. And uh, some of those uh, bar owners and restaurant owners have gotten anywhere from 15 to $35,000, which, doesn't cover all their losses, but it, it, it does help. And so, and it's unprecedented, you know, it was hard to get that, that, that passed through, through uh, city hall because, 
a lot of people were saying, no, we've never done this before. We don't want to start doing that. And we don't want to have to commit to doing this every year going forward. But let me tell you what, what the, the, the key is here is we tried to help. We tried to get that project moving. We tried to also get some financial help for the people who were hurt. But then in addition to that, we want to make sure that we don't have construction delays going forward. And so one thing that we passed just a few months ago was the responsible bidders ordinance. And so what that is, is currently or previously what we had at the city is whoever the low bidder was would get that contract for a city construction project. And the problem there was you sometimes you have sloppy operators. You have people who cut corners. You have people who, you know, are irresponsible and we don't want to do business with them. And so we we passed an ordinance that said if you have poor work performance history with the, with the city in the last three years, you're eliminated from being able to bid on these contracts. And so That's we expect to do, yeah, we expect to do a better job going forward because of that. No, that's absolutely important that we're holding people that we're spending our tax dollars on accountable for the work that they're doing. That's uh, an excellent thing. I'm glad to hear that. Councilman, tell me, what are some of the things that you're most proud of? You're running for re-election. Uh, what, is, what is something that you look back and hang your hat on in your first term? Well, I'll say without a doubt, you know, making progress on the homelessness issue. Um, and we haven't seen it all yet. We haven't seen all the progress, but I'm telling you, we've we've been making this progress. And so since I've gotten into office, we have secured forty three million dollars to build permanent housing for people who are chronically homeless. Right. So this is for individuals who've been homeless for over a year. They likely have mental health challenges um, and it's they're unlikely to be able to to house themselves and feed themselves. And so what we are doing is we are going to build housing. We already contracted out for $32 million worth. We're building the housing right now so that these individuals can have their own house, uh, their own apartment, their own tiny home. And it's, but it's not just a residence. They're going to have on-site wraparound services. They're going to be, there's going to be a case manager there who can make sure that everybody who needs mental health medication has access to it and that they're taking it on a regular basis. That way they're, they can be stabilized. Um, and we're, we're going to make sure that uh, they have access on site to mental health counseling, to drug counseling. And so that's going to make, you know, it's, it's the compassionate thing to do, but it also saves taxpayer dollars. And I'll tell you, I, I sat down with somebody who works in emergency response and they showed me the numbers and they said, look, there's a subset of people who are experiencing chronic homelessness and they are either dialing 911 every day. Or people are calling 911 on them. And so yeah. police cars are going out there, um, you know, ambulances, because living on the streets can be dangerous. And sure. so you, you have to go to the emergency room on a regular basis. Sometimes it's a fire truck because somebody goes into a vacant building and they're cold. They start a fire to stay warm. The whole building ends up burning down. Right. And so we can actually save on the back end, saving on the ambulance rides, the emergency room visits, the, the fire truck, um, you know, rolls. We can save on those and the police, you know, police uh, runs. We can save all on all of that by investing up front in this permanent housing with all these wraparound services. And so we've already contracted out 32 million here in my first term. And so I'm very proud of that. There, It's being built right now. And I'll tell you, once it's done being built, I think that's when you're going to really see progress, when you see the less people who are experiencing homelessness out on the street. No, absolutely. Uh, as a downtown resident, I can tell you it's definitely an issue in San Antonio. So I'm glad to hear 
about or hear about this program and hear that you are working on this. And I can't speak all of a sudden, so I apologize. <laughs> Councilman, why should people elect you to a second term? You're talking about all these great things, but deep down inside, why do you think people should vote for you and cast their ballot for you in this upcoming election? Well, I'll tell you that um, I pride myself in being a team player. Um, you know, when I look at, you know, when I got into office, I rejected the, 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 the title councilman. And I said, no, just call me Mario, you know, because we are, we are all on the same team. We play different roles, me, you know, and anybody else in the community, we play different roles, but we're all on the same team, but we're all equals. And that's why I rejected the, the title councilman. Uh, but I pride myself in being a team player and, and being somebody who listens, who, who partners with the community and who has a balanced approach uh, after listening to all sides. And I think that's what we need. What has been uh, the most challenging thing about this race for you? Um, you know, I think uh, I was really focused on fundraising early on and not building my team out. And so I, I, I think I got, I got my we, we got a little bit of a slow start on that end. Um, but we did really well on fundraising. And, you know, we've continued to build our team out. Our team is stronger than ever. And, uh, you know, and we're continuing to do well in fundraising. So I feel really good about where we're at. And people are responding when we go to the doors and when we talk to people. And I'll tell you, volunteers are showing up even more so than before. And, uh, you know, they want to make sure that uh, we can continue this partnership that we've had that's been so successful. So I have to ask the question. Uh, obviously, there's two people in the race. You had a broad uh, spectrum of folks that were on the ballot, as you have with any other city council race. Um, what sets you apart from your opponent? You know, um, I. I can just tell, I can speak to what I've done and I can say that I've um, been somebody who's been accessible, um, somebody who listens, somebody who, uh, you know, knows that I'm not the smartest person in the room. And so what I try to do is surround myself with a lot of the smart people in our community because there's so much talent in district one. It's a great district to represent. Um, you know, I love being able to appoint people to our committees because there's so many talented people in District 1. And when I surround my, myself with all of these people, it makes me better. And so, you know, I just think that I've always been a team player. It comes naturally to me. Um, I really enjoy working on big policy issues. I went to policy school. I mean, grew up here in San Antonio, but I went to policy school. I got a master's in public affairs at the LBJ School in Austin. And, um, you know, I've just been happy to come back here to my hometown and be able to apply what I've learned, working with the community, apply all the all of the the talent and knowledge from District One into you know creating a brighter future for our district. Speaking of District One and what makes us such a unique and diverse district, I mean, you've got everything from the north side of town down to a little bit of downtown or all of downtown really, and you've got the Alamo. What do you see as the future of the Alamo? I just drove by there today and it was, I saw things being built and walls going up and all sorts of stuff. So what's going on down there? You know, um, this, um, this, this Alamo project is just one small part. Well, it's not one small part. It's one significant part of a lot of investment in downtown. And so I, I think that we've got a, uh, a big future there, you know, uh, we're increasing the number of people who live there. And the important thing is, how do you make downtown more walkable? How do you make what downtown uh, more vibrant? How do you make it a, a downtown where more people live and it supports more retail, more entertainment, um, you know, more food and beverage? And that's the goal. 
And, you know, I think we're well on our way with all of these investments right now. Well, if I had a request uh, to make from you, I would say give us more parking. Make make folks increase parking when they build their fabulous restaurants and shops and entertainment because Lord knows we need it. <laughs> well, I believe we have free parking in city garages every Tuesday night, so make sure you take advantage of that. That's a great thing. Downtown Tuesdays are still alive and well. I did not know that. Yeah. So Awesome. Uh, we can, any- if we can increase that, I'd be happy to do it because I, I do. I, we want more people coming downtown. Absolutely. And, and, you know, not everybody is aware of all the great things that we have to offer in downtown. And I'll tell you this, not everyone's aware of all of the happy hour specials and promotions that go on with the different restaurants. And I'm not just saying you have to go and drink alcohol, but, you know, people don't know that like at the Tower of the Americas, you can get half off appetizers. Uh, Monday through Thursday until seven o'clock. So come down on a Tuesday, park for free, and get some cheap appetizers. <laughs> come down on a Tuesday and try it out. Absolutely, Councilman. Is there anything you want folks to know before you head out today? Oh well, yeah. I want, I want to make sure people know where to vote. Um, so in District One, you can vote at uh, the Bear County Elections Office, uh, which is on uh, Frio Street. You can vote at the Bear County Justice Center, which is on Dolorosa. Um, you can vote. We just added a, uh, a new voting location, uh, which wasn't on the list previously, but it's Wonderland Mall. Also, a lot of people, if you're like me, you grew up here in San Antonio, you might still call it Crossroads Mall. Um, <laughs> and then Lions Field is a, a voting location we always have. So those are those are the closest early voting locations. And I guess there's one in District 7, which if you live on the west side of District 1, might be closer to you. And that's Memorial Library. Awesome. Memorial Branch Library. You know, my yeah. uh, I grew up right there off of uh, 36th Street and Roosevelt. So I definitely yeah. love me some Memorial Branch Library. <laughs> Absolutely. So early voting starts um, May 30th and Election Day is June 10th. So just make sure you get out and ha- make your voice heard. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being with us, Councilman. We appreciate it. Glad to be here. Thank you. Take care. All right. You heard it from Councilman Bravo. Early voting is going on May 30th through June 6th, and Election Day is June 10th. You can vote at any location in the city of San Antonio from 7 a.m. until 7 p.m. So please be sure to go out and vote. Again, early voting starts May 30th, so you still have some time to do your research. So whether you live in District 7 and you've got Marina Alderete Gavito and Dan Rosser on the ballot, or you've got District 1, which is uh, Mario Bravo, and he's being challenged by Dr. Sue Kaur. I do want to point out that Dr. Kaur was invited to come onto the show. Unfortunately, she chose not to participate, uh, and we'll be making her voice heard through other capacities. So go out, do your research, and learn more about the candidates. I certainly appreciate those who show up and those who make their voice heard and those that want to make themselves accessible to you. So go out and vote. Don't forget, see, uh, no votas, pues... We've had a fabulous show here on Platica Politica. Thank you so much for tuning in to KEDA Radio Jalapeno 99.9 FM and 1540 AM. You all have a fabulous Saturday. We'll see you next week.